uh, from now to the end of January before we jump back into Colossians. I like to do this. The goal is every year, but it ends up being about every other year that we do a series like this at the beginning of the year to reorient and remind ourselves of the marks of a healthy church. And the title of this uh, series is Doing Church God's Way. So we're going to be looking, actually kind of just going through our vision statement as a church, what we want to be, what we aspire to look like as a church. Uh, it's not going to be perfect because we're a bunch of sinners, right? But um, nonetheless, we, we ought to know what maturity and health looks like for a local body and uh, aspire and, and give great pains and efforts to uh, attain to, that, uh, to those marks. Uh, so we're looking at doing church God's way. If you would turn me, please, in your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We want to see this morning uh, the importance of the Word of God in the life of the church. If we get this wrong, then we get everything else wrong. Uh, from the nursery to the evangelism to the cleaning ministry to everything, everything uh, just is spoiled and uh, uh, ruined downstream of this, the word of God in the local church. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. The title of this sermon is Preach the Word. It comes right from 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the Word. That is a command given from God, not just to preachers, but to the church. And I, my, my desire this morning is that you, dear saint, would be resolved to sit under the preached word of God. Because many of, of you, uh, and this is biblical, many of you will not be preachers, ought not to be preachers, and aren't, just aren't gifted to be preachers. Uh, the word of God says, let not many of you become teachers because there will be a stricter judgment for those who teach the word of God. So there's, there's good in that. There, there's a rightness in that. Nonetheless, what's your part in this? Well, I want you to be resolved to sit under the preached word of God. That's your part. It's to receive the preached word. You know, for the church of Christ... Throughout the ages, and especially today, there is a constant pull to compromise in what we say and do. We're surrounded by a culture that rejects truth 
and loves worldly pleasures, aren't we? But Christ calls us, his church, to remain loyal to him and to his word in a time of compromise. And so to to solidify our commitment to preaching the word of God and to the preached word of God, Christ gives us three things. First, the directive, then the design, and then the, the, excuse me, the determination. The directive, the design, and the determination for the preached word of God. Those are our three points this morning. First of all, the directive comes from verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Here, Paul begins with a solemn charge. He says, I solemnly charge you. And why is this a solemn charge? Why be so serious? Well, uh, Paul is facing the fact that he has come face to face with the end of his life. Notice with me in verse 6, just down a, a few verses. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the, and the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, these are swan song kind of words. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And, 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 he, go, and he goes on. This is, this is his parting words. Th- these are the words of a man who knows that his end is near. And what is his solemn charge as he talks to and writes to a, a local church, through, and specifically the local pastor, what, is his, what, is, what are his parting words? When that comes to his mind, I solemnly charge you, preach the word. In light of me dying, you, gotta, you just got to preach the word, Timothy, he says. You know, when you come to the end of your life, and I've been at, uh, some deathbeds at the side of some deathbeds in my time. And it's amazing how simple things get, right? Family comes around and you just keep it simple. I love you. You know, if they're a believer, I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you again. And especially if they're able to communicate things, they want to make sure that things are, you know, left in order when they leave, that, you know, here's what I've learned. Here are my parting words. And it's usually very simple you know, they're not talking about, you know, make sure that uh, you clean the garage or do the laundry this weekend, right? They're not worried about those things. It's just the stuff that matters, right? So it is with Paul. All the, the, the busyness of church life and all the extra things in the life of the church kind of just fade to the background. And what is brought to the forefront is preach the word, If you do nothing else, the church must be committed to the preached word of God. Paul commands Timothy and the church to preach the word. And the the charge here is not only connected to his death, but also to some sobering cosmic realities, you could say. 
as he says in the rest of verse 1. This solemn charge is in light of the watchful presence of, of God, the judgment of Christ, the certainty of his return, and the establishment of his kingdom. First of all, in, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he says, preach the word. You see, God the Father has set Christ his Son apart to be uh, the, 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 the watchful eye and the ruler over the local church. The Father and the Son are both present realities here today, dear Redeemer Bible Church. They are both present realities along with the Spirit in the life of the local church. They're watching. The, the triune God is watching us even today. Not just watching from afar, but near. Revelation says that Christ walks among the lampstands. Those lampstands are the churches of the world. Christ walks in our midst. It's as if he is even now walking up and down the aisles and, and hovering around back and, and watching over us and seeing how we're doing and what we're doing to make sure that we are doing things his way. We all live and move in God's world, Paul says in Acts. How much more, though, his people? How much more are we, the church, under the watchful eye of God? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. He goes on, who is to judge the living and the dead? And who's the judge? It's Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. I solemnly charge you uh, in the name of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. That's the idea as well. You see, the Father has set the Son apart, designated him to be the judge of all mankind. Acts 10, verse 42, says that he commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly to bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. That is, the Father has designated the Son to be the judge of the living and the dead. He will judge you. Dear friend, if, if you don't know the Lord today, you still will answer to Him. If you're trying to ignore His the reality of him or his rightful ownership of you as a human being, you can pretend all you want, but you will give an account for how you live. Every man, woman, and child will do this. Nobody is exempt. And who is better fit for this task but Jesus the greatest, most glorious, wisest, holiest, and altogether perfect man, Jesus Christ. Who else knows what it is to really be the perfect human but the God-man, Jesus Christ? 
So if anybody ought to be judge, it's him. If anybody has a right to point out faults in another, it's him, right? All mankind, past generations, and all mankind from future generations will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Christian, before you think, well, you know, I'm bought by the blood of the Lamb and I won't face judgment, uh, that's true, but it's a half-truth. You are, if you are a believer, you are bought by the blood of the Lamb and you will never be judged for your sins, ever. There is now no condemnation, not some, not a little bit, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. But you will give an account for how you live. Oh, that's true. Believers will stand on Judgment Day with this unshakable confidence that they are forgiven and they will go to heaven no matter what. Yet, we will be judged for our conduct as believers. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13 to 15. Each man's work will become evident. For the day, that is the judgment day, the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You will be saved because you are saved from the guilt of your sins. You will be saved from the judgment for your sins. That is an unshakable fact. But you will pass through the fire of the evaluation, the, the watching eye of Christ. And Revelation 1 describes his eyes as what? Flames of fire. It's the evaluation of Christ, the judge, that you will undergo, Christian. We're not going to lose our salvation on that judgment day, but we may lose our rewards. And that's sobering. It should be. You will not lose your salvation on that day, but you might lose some rewards. Well, how do I avoid that, you might ask. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you mean it, it, that it's not just, you know, uh, a free ticket to Disneyland in, in heaven and, and, you know, it's all good and everybody's the same? No. No. Some will have more reward than others. And some will think that they have great rewards, but they'll be burned up in the evaluation of Christ. How do you avoid that? Well, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 3, each man must be careful how he builds. Be careful, Christian, how you live. Be careful how you serve. Be careful how you give. Don't do it for anyone else but for Christ and His glory. How do, you be, how do you be careful how you build? It is by living and doing ministry according to the methods 
motivations, and mindsets that are commanded in Scripture. Let me say that again. This is important. How can you be careful how you build and will not have all your rewards burned up is by living and doing ministry according to the methods, motivations, and mindsets that are commanded in Scripture. So the method is live and do ministry the way God says and just obey. Do what He says, right? And don't try to make up your own way. Motivation is why are you doing it? Are you doing it so that uh, others will look at you and commend you? Are you giving because the pastor told you and he said he wouldn't stop preaching on it until you gave? Uh, Are you doing it out of guilt or something to appease your conscience? Don't do that. Give for, for out of love and honor for God. What's your motivation? Then mindset. What's your mindset as you live and serve? Are you just doing it out of your own strength? Are you thinking, I, I know what to do. I got this. I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I am able enough. I can do this. And you're not doing it with a mindset of dependence on God. Well, then it, it, it's great that you help and you serve and you, and you do what you're supposed to, but you're not going to get rewarded for that. It's good that you're obeying, but you're not going to get awarded for that because you're doing it out of your own strength. Do all things in the strength of the Lord Jesus. So living and doing ministry according to the methods, motivation, and mindset that are commanded in Scripture. That's how you can stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the bema seat of Christ, and uh, not be worried that all your rewards are going to be burned up. And this applies to preaching, right? And to your sitting under the preached word. Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? What's your method? What's your motivation? What's your mindset as you come each Sunday and hear the preached word of God? Are you doing it God's way? Are you doing it with the right motivations? Are you you there to to make pastor happy or to, to check off the box? Do you come to church just to see the grandkids or the nephews and nieces? No, no, no. You come for God. Uh, are you doing it with the right mindset? Are you just kind of getting through it just to get through it? And, and, you're, and you're just you know, taking what you want and, and leaving what you don't like? That's not the right mindset. Come humbly to the Word of God. And we'll get more to that later. Not only... Are we to preach and sit under the preaching with the psalm charged by the presence of God in Christ Jesus and, and, and we're being reminded that he is to judge the living and the dead, but also his appearing and his kingdom in verse 1, his appearing and his kingdom. Christ appearing here in his second coming. That, that's what's being talked about, his second coming. The emphasis here is on the certainty of every Christian Seeing Jesus. And that what a wonderful certainty. This will happen. Christian, you will see Jesus with your own two eyes. Amen. And if you got one eye, he'll, he'll restore that other eye and you'll see him with, with two for the first time. But it also emphasized that uh, every Christian, it, it emphasizes every Christian's longing to see Christ. Notice again verse 8. 
In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous just, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then a little uh, while later, in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will save me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the appearing of his kingdom. What's being talked there? Talk, uh, talked about there? Uh, the Christian is to long to see Christ come again. And when we see him, we will be transferred into his heavenly kingdom. And so the, the fact that we'll see Christ in his glory with all the saints in heaven should motivate us to live and serve him today. Think of that day, Christian, when it will all be made worth it. Right? It's worth it today, but it'll, 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 you'll experience the worthiness of all the trials, all the suffering, all the hard work, all the diligence, all of the killing of the flesh. All of that will be worth it on that day. And you'll see him in all his glory and he'll transfer you from the kingdom, from this earthly kingdom to his heavenly kingdom. And what peace and bliss will be there. Oh, we long for that day, but we're not there yet. But we work towards that day. We, we try and bring that day into, into this day by gathering with the saints and by the preached word of God. We get a glimpse into heavenly things through the word. And so by his appearing and his kingdom, with that solemn uh, and joyful anticipation, the charge is preach the word. Now this command, preach the word in verse 2, is the first of five commands. But this is the primary command and the main one out of which the other flow. So it's preach the word, and then out of that comes be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Those are what make up the preached word of God, the manner of it, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the word preach, caruso in the Greek, it means to herald, to proclaim publicly. This word was used to describe the uh, the function of those old imperial messengers who would go through the streets of a city to announce the will, the decree of the emperor. He would announce new laws, government pro uh, policies, or royal decrees. So when the messenger, when the herald, when, when he would go out and caruso, when he would go out and preach or declare it was not a talk. It was not a dialogue. It was a one-way announcement. Hear ye, hear ye, thus says the king. Right? So it is in the preached word of God. It's not a dialogue. It's not a conversation. This is a one-way dialogue from God to his people. This is an announcement. Every time... A preacher stands behind a pulpit. It ought to be an announcement of thus says the Lord. Not his opinions. Not his thoughts. 
or his soliloquies or anything else. But thus says the Lord. And that's, that's why it says preach the word, right? Because you can preach a lot of things, but he says he limits it. Preach the word. Not man's philosophies. Not compelling stories. Not a string of jokes. Not self-help or pipe, uh, pop psychology dressed in Christian language. There's a lot of that going around. Or, or even not political agendas dressed in Christian language. Not that. We here in this church, along with many other churches, praise the Lord, we do what's called expositional preaching. Which is the task of exposing. You can hear it in the word, expositional. Expose. We expose what the Word of God says. We open it up to you so that you can look at your Bible and say, Oh, it's right there. It's been right there all along. I just didn't notice it. Or I thought it meant something else. It's just right there. There's nothing fancy about this. We expose what the Word of God says, not what I think it means to me. And that is, uh, that's, that's neo-modernist uh, hermeneutics. Well, when it lands on my heart, and when it, you know, warms my bosom, and I get this thought, or I get this feeling, that's, that's the truth. That's what it means. No. That's what it means. Right? There's a difference. I'm getting excited. Um, this also means that we don't pick and choose passages, but the, but the main pattern of the church ought to be to go from one verse to the next verse, one chapter to the next chapter, and, one, and, and a book by book, one book at a time. And this also means, preach the word means preach the whole counsel of God. New Testament and Old Testament. That's why we've done Exodus. And I know we've done Daniel in the past. And, and we're, we're going to do Matthew next after Colossians. And uh, by the way, you know, you might think, well, that's, that's good. That's what you do here in the pulpit, Pastor. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that we do that. But this is the expectation, dear church, of every word-based ministry of Redeemer Bible Church. What are our word-based ministries in this church? Preaching, of course. Equipping our teaching. Redeemer's kids. Our nursery ministry. Our kids' club outreach. Uh, if, if the Lord allows, if we, if we were to ever do a youth or young adult ministry, it would be such there. Our community groups that we have. Our evangelism. Discipleship. Biblical counseling. Even worship. Even the singing of praises is a word-based ministry. And so... In every aspect of the church, the expectation is 
we are doing this. We are preaching the word. We are explaining and expositing and just saying what God says in the Bible. It may not be from a pulpit. It may be just across the table at Starbucks. But you're conveying the word of God. And you must be resolved to do so, Christian, in your own ministry. As well as being resolved to sit under the preached word of God. It's no good having a preacher do his job and obey this command if there's nobody there to listen, right? What good is it? Are we really carrying out and fulfilling this command if nobody's here? No. It takes hearers for, the, for there to be preaching as well. So, so we need you, brothers and sisters. And we need you to do it in the method, the motivation, and, and the mindset that is ascribed in Scripture. Well, and why preach the Word? Just a couple passing notes before we get on to the next point this morning. Why preach the Word? Well, because of what it is. Right. If you look right above our passage, remember chapter and verse divisions are uh, uh, not in the original written documents. So just, just a few phrases before us, it, it reminds us in chapter 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. That's why he says, preach the word. What word? The word I just told you about. The, the, the word that is the direct result of the, of the work of God. The word that God breathed out. That word. Why, why preach the word? Well, because of its source. Because it is the God-breathed word. Scripture is a very product of divine revelation. And, and, and the Bible's authority comes from God's authority. The Bible's sufficiency comes from God's sufficiency as its creator and, his, and, as, his, and as his role of divine ruler of all. Its sufficiency comes from its content, God's perfect revelation, which culminates, by the way, according to Hebrews 1, in his son, Jesus Christ. So the scripture is the most valuable thing that we can hold in our hands on this earth because God has spoken and still speaks to us in it today. That's why we preach the word and not other things. Preaching is the primary task of the church as well. We learn from Acts 6 that uh, you know there were in those days um, the church was multiplying in numbers, it says in Acts 6, and there began to be a contention within the church. You know, some, some people's uh, moms were being taken care of, other people's moms weren't being taken care of. You know, there was, there was some, some division being begun, and people were being neglected, and it was just a, a result of, of the blessing of God and, and a growing church that was just growing so rapidly. People were, were the, the care, the practical care wasn't being uh, for, for the saints wasn't being carried out properly and sufficiently. And so the, the church comes to the apostles and the, it says that the twelve uh, summoned the congregation and said, look, it's not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. 
And you might think a member in the congregation would say, wait a minute, serve tables, you're talking about my mom. And these apostles says, I am. And I ought not neglect the preaching of the word of God, the ministry of the word of God and prayer, so that, I can, so that your mom is taken care of. And what, what is he saying there? He's not saying that that's not important. He's actually saying that is so important that we're going to set aside men called deacons to take care of the nuts and bolts, the ins and outs of ministry so that the pastor, that, so that in the context there in Acts 6, so that the, the, the leaders of the church can be focused on the ministry of the word and prayer. This is more important than mercy ministries. But mercy ministries will flow out of this, you see. So, it is to be the primary task of the church. Let's focus on the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. Let us be committed to this above all else. Christian, in your life, that just means this, this, this comes first. This comes first in your life. Sitting under the preached word of God, gathering with the saints, worshiping God with the voices of the saints, that comes first in your life. Now, it's commanded to the pastors of the church, but the preaching of Scripture informs and defines every other ministry in the church. So out of the preached word of God flows the other ministries, Ephesians 4. That God gifted the church with pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the only way that we're going to do nursery or evangelism or Redeemer's Kids or Kids Club or discipleship or cleaning or yard work or, or, or anything else, worship music, the only way we're going to do any of those things well and right is through the preached word of God. If we get this wrong, all of those other things go off track. So... How do we do this? Secondly, this morning, the design. The design. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. First of all, the way this is done is by being ready in season and out of season. That is, uh, the preacher must be ready to discharge his given task. That is, he must be on hand. And the timing here is at any time, in season and out of season. That is, they are to be attentive to the need for God's truth in the life of the church. Available to the flock, available to to the sheep of God to feed them when they're hungry. He goes on. He says, reprove. Now, this word is a strong word. It's it's for pointing out someone's sins, whether it's actions, words, thoughts, desires. It's a strong word of just pointing out the sin. That's a sin. Right? That's reprove. It is to make it known that God disapproves. Not, I don't like that, or that bothers me, 
or that annoys me. God disapproves. That's a sin. It is to make it known. It is the act of making people aware of sin, to expose it. And not only that, but to go beyond and to convince them that it's wrong. To persuade them, oh yeah, that is a sin. I shouldn't be doing that. You're right. That ought to be done, he says, in the act of preaching the word. So, especially when the text requires it, uh, the, the preacher is to call out sin. Is, he is to uh, point out, this is wrong, you ought not do this. And it goes along with the next term, rebuke. This word goes beyond just pointing at the sin and saying that's a sin, God disapproves. And to provide a convincing argument, rebuke goes on to warn that person of the dangers and the consequences of their sin. It is to warn them. It's going beyond just expressing disapproval. It actually involves the idea of trying to get in the person's way so that they will stop sinning. Have you, have you thought of that? This is the ministry of the preacher, but this is, this is elsewhere expected of the saints, from one saint to the other, to reprove and rebuke one another. If you see a brother or a sister in sin, go to that brother in love, and go to that sister in love and compassion and gentleness, and point to that and say, that's a sin. God disapproves of that. Doesn't matter if, if it offends me. God disapproves of that. You've got to deal with him. And then to go beyond that and say, no, no, no I don't want you to do that. Stop it. And, and, and I'm, I'm not going to turn a blind eye. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to bug you about it. I'm going to get in your way. I'm going to try and get you to stop sinning with the help of the Spirit. I'm going to plead with you and, and warn you of, look, it's not going to end well. You're, you're treating your wife that way. It's not going to end well. You want a happy marriage? That's not the way to go about it. You're going to have disunity in the home. You're not going to have peace. You try and rule the home, men, with, with, a, with a strong hand. Uh, it's not peace. Everybody's just afraid. And it's not going to end well. That's not peace. Uh, direct things like that. Christian, you ought to be doing that with other Christians. It's not my job. It's yours. It's my job because I'm the pastor and because I'm a fellow believer. But it's also your job because you're a fellow believer. And you're commanded to do these things as well. And don't be afraid of what they think of you. Don't be afraid of their response. You go as a representative of God and you say, God disapproves. And I love you still. He goes on, exhort. This is the more positive side. Parakaleo is the word. It's translated elsewhere in other contexts as encourage or admonish, even beg or Comfort, and, and in some context, to cheer somebody on. 
Parakaleo is is the you know the the is true two Greek words coming together. It's para and kaleo alongside and to call or to speak to. So it's speaking or coming alongside somebody and talking to them. That's the, that's the word picture. It's, it's to come alongside and, and, and speak much needed truth to someone. And the goal is that, that the one exhorted will not give up, but keep on going in, with Christ with endurance. That they will change their ways and that they will believe that, I, you know, by the power of God, I can change. I, I can say no to sin. Uh, you know, I, I, do, I can change. It, it's not all lost. It's not all hopeless. I can have joy. I can have peace. Oh, have you done that to somebody recently? Have you come alongside them and given them a much needed word of God to where when they leave you, they are not just deflated and they feel like giving up but rather they feel like you know what by the power of God I think I can do this have you have you had that conversation like that with the brother or sister I, I exhort you I exhort you you can you can God can use you you don't have to be perfect God can even use you and he says do this with great patience and teaching. Amen. With great patience and, and teaching. All of this is to be done with patient biblical instruction. Biblical instruction, teaching here. Uh, why? Well, because uh, preaching, reproof, rebuke, exhortation must be based on what God says, right? So, and and. and Patience, patience in the teaching, uh, because the kind of change that we're going for, church, the kind of change that is genuine and long-lasting and soul-deep, that kind of change takes time. And, and very often, fruit grows slowly. And so he says, just be patient. Just be patient with them and keep on giving them the word of God and just let the Lord work on their heart. Amen. And just patience and teaching is what they need. But we can be confident that the patient preaching of the word of God will not return void. It will have an effect on God's people. Scripture possesses itself inherent power because it is the word of God. And it is able to accomplish the goal for which God intends. Isaiah 55, 11. My word, uh, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what pleases me and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Every time the word of God is preached, God accomplishes something. Now, Scary thing is, sometimes his accomplishment is to heap wrath upon people because of their stubbornness of heart and their unrepentance. And he does that through his word. Oh, don't, don't, be, don't be fooled. Just because you warm a seed on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Just because you agree and appreciate doesn't mean you're going to heaven. 
doesn't mean you're a child of God. God could be heaping judgment on you week after week after week. That is terrifying. Especially, I know this personally, especially as one who grows up in church, right? There is a greater accountability for those raised in church. God expects more of you, dear young ones. He expects you to do something about it. One pastor says, Scripture is so powerful and comprehensive that it can convert or... Excuse me. Scripture is so powerful and comprehensive that it can convert or transform the entire person, changing someone into precisely the person God wants him to be. Wow. Praise the Lord. The power is not in me or in you. The Word of God is going to just do its work. And God will have his way with you, dear child of God. Now, the determination. What's the response? Well, he says it in a negative way here. In verse 3 and 4. The time, well actually the first word is for. So preach because, and this is counterintuitive. Preach because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That is counterintuitive. He's telling a pastor, telling a preacher, preach the word because they're not going to want it. That's what he's saying. Preach the word because they're not going to be happy with you. I, I, why would you have me do this? Do the thing that people don't want me to do. Well, because there's somebody who wants you to do it that matters more. It's God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, who are both watching. He says, first, a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That is, there will be no tolerance for the truth. I mean, man, that just sounds like today, doesn't it? But, but be warned, dear child of God. Be warned, church. He's talking about the church. He's talking about at least the visible church. Those buildings that have a cross on the front that say they're a church. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will have no tolerance for the truth. They will not endure or put up with sound teaching. Sound doctrine is healthy teaching. It's robust, expositional biblical teaching. It's the solid biblical teaching that is authoritative and Christ-centered. You see, people want man's philosophies. They want compelling stories. They want funny jokes. They want self-help steps. They want pop psychology dressed in Christianese. They want political movement dressed in Christian language. That's what people want. They don't want expositional preaching. They they want topical, how-tos, entertaining, and simple sermons. 
They want talks. And he describes them as wanting to have their ears tickled. And, and, and wanting their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So this is active selfishness here. Active selfishness. I mean, notice in, in, in these verses how many times words like they or their uh, appear, right? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. You see, they will actively accumulate teachers for themselves, teachers who fit their own desires. Teachers, preachers who are sensitive to the seekers. Literally, it says they will, they will accumulate, they will literally pile these kinds of preachers up in a heap, which means there's a lot, right? And they're itching ears, it says. They'll have itching ears. Uh, this is the desire to hear what they want. Just make me feel good, Pastor. I just want to feel good about myself. I just want to feel like I can keep on going. Well, the Lord has that message that you can keep on going, but it's not in your strength. It's not self-help. It's killing self. And, and thrusting, uh, heaving yourself over to the power of God. That's how you're going to make it through. That's how you're going to feel good. Is, 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 is when you get your mind and your life in, in line with God's word. There's, there's good feelings. Can I, get, can, I, can I get emotional? There, it feels good when you do things God's way. And maybe part of the reason why you don't feel good or why you're depressed or anxious or troubled in heart is because you're in rebellion. Now, there will always be this temptation to be a merely popular preacher, to supply the latest tickle for the highest bidder. We ought not to be so. Uh, it goes on to uh, explain that uh, these kinds of people, these kinds of churches will turn away their ears from the truth. That is a neglecting of the truth. You know, people... Left to themselves will always turn away from the truth. That's just our sinful kind of fleshly default. Uh, this is a, a, a neglect of the Word of God as a primary source of truth and direction. That is turning away your ear from the truth. It, it's, it's going to YouTube or TED Talk or your family or your friends or your own brain for advice. That's turning your ear away from the truth and getting your direction elsewhere. This is the person who's, where the Bible is not authoritative in their lives. And, and dear saint, this often begins with you just simply neglecting your own times in the Word, reading privately with God. And then it spills over into neglecting the gathering of the church for the preached Word of God, where the, you know, the Bible just isn't that important to me. And you wouldn't say that, but you live it. 
What you're doing, what you're playing with, Christian, is you're turning your ear away from the truth because there's always a voice, right? There's always a voice in the world that has plenty of opinions and plenty of direction for you. Whether it's on the news or the latest show or movie that you saw, there's always a voice. And you need to let the voice of God be louder than those other voices. Because the danger is, once you start turning away from the truth, you will, you will turn aside into myths. It's one motion. That is, you will begin to be more vulnerable and even accept false teaching. Actively neglecting the truth will lead to deception, Christian. Something will fill the void of authority and direction in your life. And when you stray from the truth, you are straying towards false teaching. Make no mistake. There's no neutral ground here. Now, the, the state of people and even of the church here is, is sobering, is bleak, right? Isn't it? You know, by the way, this is, this is why we don't take a poll Ask the crowd what, what they would like the pastor to preach. There is discussion, but that's among leaders, and that's uh, after seeking guidance from the Word of God and much prayer, and getting advice from fellow pastors, fellow preachers. Uh, but we don't take polls to see what you would like to hear because of verses like this. Uh, we, we just assume that God will direct me. God will direct us as a church where we want to go next, what we want to talk about next. That's up to him. Uh, Dear Saint, there's a sense where I I, I would love for you to love preaching more than I do. (laughs) Right? That's that's sorry. I love preaching. Praise the Lord. it's, It's a delight to me. It's an act of worship, but man, I would love for you to just love preaching. Love good old preaching from the word of God. That, that would just make your heart sing. Uh, if we would have a congregation full of people that love preaching, oh, oh, what the Lord could do. And oh, what a delight it would be for me to preach to you. And praise the Lord that we are not described by these, by this, by these descriptions here. Uh, we do not have a congregation that is just seeking to have their ears tickled. We have, a, we have a, I believe, a congregation, by and large, that, uh, full of people that love the Word of God. And, and that's a gift. So thank the Lord for your congregation, dear saint. This is a special gift, what we have here. Uh, if I can close, what, what's your response? Two things. Your response to the word of God is welcome it eagerly and approach it humbly. Welcome it eagerly. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. This talks about the church there in Thessalonica. They received the word of God which they heard from us and they accepted it. They welcomed it not as the word of men but for what it really is, the word of God. So welcome the word of God into your life eagerly, Christian. Secondly, approach it humbly. 
God says in Isaiah 66, Heaven is my throne, earth, the earth is my footstool of my feet. Where is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. And thus all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite, that is broken of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Oh, come humbly to the word of God. Come each week, every time you open your Bible during the week, come to the word of God. Okay, God, what would you like? What, what fortress would you like to dismantle in my heart? What idol would you like to crash down and cast to the ground in my heart? What thinking am I, am, I, am I off on? What act am I doing that I should stop? And what are the thoughts that I should have? What are the loves that I should have? What are the affections that I should have? What are the actions that I should be doing? Oh, Lord, teach me and mold me into the image of Christ. We need to stop. <laughs> Let's pray. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you that you have not let us, left us here just on our own, just to figure things out on, our, on ourselves, Lord. We would just make a mess of our lives. We would ruin your church, Lord. Thank you for revealing your will and, and even yourself uh, in the pages of Scripture. Lord, may it be a, the most treasured possession that we have in this life whether it's an electronic copy or a physical copy, may the word of God be, be the most treasured thing in our lives, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I do thank you for this dear church, that they love the word, that they hunger for the word. Lord, we, we just pray that we would excel still more in that, Lord. That especially in our homes, in, in our families, or in our private times, that we would prioritize the word of God and that we would hunger for your truth, God. And that, that would bleed out into our, our actions and our words that we say to one another. It would bleed out into the ministries of this church, that we would be guided by the word of God in everything we say and do as a, as a local congregation. And continue to reign over us through your holy word, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.